spent a little time in vacation, on vacation in Kentucky and uh, with the family. And uh, there are a lot of things about that that are nice, like uh, the mountains are beautiful to see, and they do something to your heart when you get to go see the mountains and, and be in the mountains, and the local people are really proud of their mountains. And uh, all the houses have porches, every single one. People don't build houses down there without porches, and they expect you to sit on them and talk and tell stories. So listen to stories. I got a haircut. Did, do you like it? I got a haircut. At the barber, uh, Rudine cut my hair in Campton. Rudine has cut generations of Hatton hair. He says mine's a lot finer, the Hatton's hair. I think he meant thin, but he didn't want to say it because he's ever the gentleman. And he remembers cutting my wife's great, or my wife's grandfather's hair, my wife's father's hair, and my boy's. Rudine cut my hair. And Rudine said uh, that they love storytelling at the barber shop. That they used to have a lot more storytelling in Campton until they made it illegal to whittle on the courthouse steps, he said. There's a lot of things to love about Campton. I, I've never been in a hot tub before. I've been a little shy about that. Um, I always think tub is something you have to do privately. But, um, but there was a hot tub, and so I waited until everybody went to... inside, and and I was fairly sure they were all asleep, and I got in the hot tub. It was pretty cool to turn out all the lights and uh, got to watch the stars from the hot tub. I recommend this. This is a good thing. So this is a good thing about Kentucky. There's the natural bridge, which we we hike up to the natural bridge. It's a great workout. It's a beautiful thing to see, and the wind is always blowing up on natural bridge. And uh, we discovered a new restaurant where they had the blackberry cobbler. Serious blackberry cobbler and a waitress that knew enough to bring hot coffee with the blackberry cobbler and keep it full. So seriously, her name was Tina. You want to look her up if you go down to uh, the uh, Hemlock Lodge. It was pretty awesome. Uh, one of the things that, about Kentucky that I liked the most was Aunt Jean. Lois's Aunt Jean is down there. She's a southern woman who does not like to see people go hungry. So you can imagine our relationship. Uh, she's always like, can I get you a tomato sandwich? Uh, can I get you some beans? And when you talk about beans, we're talking about, you know, the kind you get out of the garden, not out of the can. There's just something incredible about that, right? Snap them out there on the porch and, oh my goodness. And so she makes these beans and then she washes your face while you eat them. And I just like, I want to make people happy and that's my temperament, you know. So I just filled plate after plate with those beans and I stood where she could watch me. And it made her very happy. It made me very happy. And uh, I can't button my jacket today, but it was just wonderful. I feel a little bit that way about today, this morning and tonight. You know, the, the kind of person that prepares a meal and then, and then watches your face while you eat it. Like, you're going to, you're going to, this is going to be, this will be good for you. You'll like this. I like to see you eat, you know. Uh, I'm not saying that the preaching is going to be anywhere near as good as the beans were. But I, I do, I do, I have spent hours preparing truth from God's Word for you to consume, that you would be, that you'd be pleased, that, you'd be, that you would grow by it, that it would help you, that it would be good for you. And this morning we're going to be in a text of Scripture that's really a critical, one of the critical passages of Scripture in Matthew chapter 18 that talks about how to restore people who wander away from the Lord or how to restore how to respond when people have sinned against you. It's one of the critical passages. There are a number of them, five or six 
key passages in the Bible. This is maybe one. This again from the mouth of our Lord Jesus to really sober us. Just to think, Jesus had something to say about this. What do we do when people sin against us? Or what do we do when somebody who was once a part of the flock begins to kind of get out away from the flock and begins to kind of wander off and they get into danger? What do you do? And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Lois and I have a clock, and we'll probably always have this clock. I bought it the second year after we were married. The first year, wedding, uh, uh, this Christmas gift was a real fiasco. It was a bad decision. So I needed to make the second year gift really a good one, and I bought this clock, and it was beautiful. It's not expensive, but it was expensive for me, and I actually had to, make, I had to lay it away and make payments up to Christmas and then finally pay it off, and I brought it home and made a big deal out of it, and she, she liked it, and you had to wind it, and it made noise. And the, the most beautiful noise is just that rhythmic ticking, you know, at night. You can just lay in your bed at night, and you can hear the noise of, of the clock. And it stopped, and we kept it for years, just a clock on the wall that didn't work. It didn't tick. It didn't tell time. It didn't make any beautiful noise. It didn't chime. It's just a clock. <laughs> we would move from place to place. We had moved this clock with us, hanging on the wall. And I was looking at that and thinking, well, it's a pretty clock, but it's only right two times a day, right, because it's and um, and so one day we were driving up through the Amish country and the Ohio Amish country, just a really beautiful back country there. And we were in this little place, this little village called Farmer's Town. And we looked up and there was a little sign, you know, the Amish are very enterprising people. They're always selling bread or jelly or, or, or produce or they're making roll top desk or they're doing something, selling minnows, selling puppies. This guy was a clock repairman a clock maker and a clock repairman so we stopped in we talked to him for a while and the next time we came up to we went up to the Amish country we took the clock we left it with him and a few months later we came back we picked it up and he said that it was a rusted mainspring he, re- he replaced the mainspring and it worked beautifully again it needed he says you need to keep a little oil on it you need to maintain it regularly anything with moving parts you always want to maintain it regularly if you maintain it faithfully, it will it'll give you a lot of joy. You get to hear the chime, and it will be useful for you. But if you neglect the maintenance of this thing, it will just be something hanging on the wall. and won't serve its usefulness. The church of Jesus Christ, when people gather together in Jesus' name, should be a very beautiful, very useful, very harmonious, very powerful thing. But it requires maintenance. A Christian family is to be a beautiful thing, a thing of great beauty, of great order, a thing of great usefulness for God. But without maintenance, it will disintegrate. Even an individual life, a believer, a Christian, that doesn't maintain himself or herself spiritually, will eventually kind of wind down and disappoint so what we're going to talk about today is the, the advice that Jesus gave, some of the teaching that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he knew he was going to die and then be buried and then rise again and ascend and go away and send the Holy Spirit. He was instructing them about what it was supposed to be like when people gathered in his name, whether it would be formal or informal gatherings of Christians. This is what he, he wanted to teach them how to do maintenance, how to maintain, how to, how to get the, the most out of a Christian life, how to get the most out of a Christian family or marriage, or how to get the most out of a, a Christian assembly, a church. 
So it's Matthew chapter 18 where Jesus is speaking. And again, it's in this context where there's been bickering, quarreling among his own disciples. And it wasn't just a one-time bickering. It was kind of regularly. They did it regularly. His own disciples, these men would change the world, but they regularly argued about petty differences. And what was interesting is they did this right up until the eve of his death. To me, that I have trouble not getting discouraged about that. But let's read the text and then we'll talk a bit about what to do here when you sinned against or when you see somebody that's um, wandering off a bit. We're in Matthew chapter 18 now. Jesus here has talked, about, he's talked to the disciples about their bickering about who's the greatest. He's warned them about giving personal offense, especially to the little ones, the new young Christians that are around. And be careful that you're not involved in the kind of these bickering kinds of things and you get involved in you know, um, disharmony because there are little ones around all the time. And you know how little ones are always listening and they're always being influenced. He's talking here not only about children, but he's talking about young people in the faith, vulnerable people in the faith. And then he says they're valuable to me and he gives this beautiful story. And Pastor Michael did a beautiful job. I got to listen to the podcast of last week's message where he talked about this wandering sheep and the heart of Jesus to go out and find even one wandering sheep. And then he comes to this point about how do you go out and get a lost sheep or a wandering sheep when a brother or a sheep kind of wanders off or they get into harm's way or they need maintenance. How does that look? And he gives, and Matthew is an accountant, right? He's a tax guy. He's an accountant. You know how accountants are. You don't do well doing taxes unless you're a detail person, unless you're kind of linear. And so Matthew now has picked up on the teaching of Jesus. I believe that Jesus was ultimately creative wouldn't you agree he's the creator god and so he had this creativity in terms of his narrative creativity in terms of his storytelling he was creative about he was surprising about the way he told stories but then sometimes he was very clear and very logical and very linear and very direct and this is an example of that matthew picks up on jesus linear teaching there are steps to take when you get to this point, and it is important that you act in this way and not in this way. And these are steps that every Christian should know. And so Jesus is preparing his disciples specifically and in general, indirectly, he's, he's preparing the Christian community to function without him and to function with the presence of the Holy Spirit. What to do when sheep wander and preceded by this dispute among the disciples and the teaching about Jesus about giving offense to little ones. Disputes and sins among followers of Jesus Christ can really disillusion you and be discouraging. But I would just suggest now that as we look at this text, that the first thing I would tell you before we actually read it is don't be disillusioned when even good Christian people struggle to agree. Don't be disillusioned when even good Christian people sin against one another. It has always been that way. And it will always be that way. While we're here, we're going to have disagreements. We're going to have struggles. We're going to sin against one another. You did it this week. If I could have sat at your table, if I could have sat in your living room, and if I could have listened, I wouldn't have wanted to, but if I'd have sat in your, I would have heard that. If you had gone with me on vacation, you would have seen all these wonderful things I talked about and a few things I'd rather you didn't hear. Because we're, we took sinners with us. That's the problem. And Jesus' disciples were sinners. And indirectly, that's a real comfort to us. Don't be disillusioned by conflict. Don't be disillusioned and give up on church. 
Because people do things they shouldn't do and say things they shouldn't say, say. But do this, verse 15 to 20. Matthew 18, 15 to 20. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, tell him his fault between you and him alone. Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. Again, a quotation from Deuteronomy 17. Verse 17, if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like like a heathen, a, a tax collector. Interesting that Matthew would write words like that. A tax collector. Verse 18, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. I am there in the midst of them. Now, don't get the idea that this message is just going to be a bit of like pop psychology or practical advice about how to get along. Let's start from the beginning and recognize that he has said, I'm watching over this. I am there in the midst. All of heaven is bearing witness on how you behave when somebody sins against you. God is watching this. Heaven is watching this. The Father is watching this. This is serious. Lots of times on Saturday night before I go to sleep, I read John part of John Piper's book, The Supremacy of God in Preaching. And the reason is because he has such a beautiful way of expressing that people long to hear about the glory and the greatness and the grandeur of God. And whatever they're going through, that's what they need. My job as a Christian pastor is not to give pop psychology or tips on you know better living my job as a christian pastor is to open his scriptures and to expose to reveal the greatness of god and by and by looking at this backward and by looking at the end first you see the greatness of god god is saying this i'm watching over human relationships all of heaven is bearing witness on human relationships when you gather in my name and you use my name god the father is watching and is a witness to this and he's a help to this, and he ratifies the decisions that you make. And Jesus ends in this most powerful way, where two or three are gathered there in my name. I am there. I am in the midst. Later on, when Paul deals with a church difficulty, he says, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be present with Jesus in my spirit. Now, he wasn't present. He wasn't physically present. He's just saying, when you start dealing with when people sin against you, understand All of heaven stops and pays attention and ratifies the decisions that you made and that Jesus is there in the midst. So if you think about it, Kenneth Sandy in his book Peacemaker, a wonderful book on Christian reconciliation, has said that we shouldn't be disillusioned by conflicts. We should recognize conflicts always come. Wherever you have more than one Christian, you've got a conflict that's going to come. But he says, be a good steward of the conflict. How you behave and what you do and where you go and who you get to help and how you pray. Being a good steward of that conflict is a very important thing. That's what Ken Sandy says. I think that's a good word. Be a good steward of whatever it is the Lord has handed you, even if it is a conflict. And and he suggests don't avoid. He says there are two responses that are unbiblical. Avoid and attack. 
So somebody sins against you, you say, well, I'm going to avoid this. And ultimately, that's like checking out of life, right? On the other hand, like some, some would be inclined, no, if somebody hurts me, I'm going to attack them. Kind of the Clint Eastwood, you know, routine there, you know. Go ahead and make my day. And, and it ends in homicide, murder. Some Baptist people are just really too good at that, right? Am I right? Yes, I am right. Yes, I know. I've spent my entire life hanging around with pugilistic, hard-nosed Baptist folk. They're a little too quick to draw blood over here. And then some are just too, they're, they're, they're unwilling to, to confront, unwilling to talk, unwilling to take things in hand, unwilling to get things right. Both of these extremes are wrong. And Ken Sandy in his book says there are biblical peacemaking options in the middle, and they're not all here in this text. And Ken Sandy is drawn from other places in the Bible. But this text gives us a, a clear steps to follow, procedures, if you will, to follow, in order to try to go out and get somebody who might have wandered off. So don't be disillusioned, and don't avoid... Avoiding is like um, thinking that you have a leak in the radiator of your car, but if you ignore it, it's going to go away. Well, the whole car is going to go away. You just could have the smallest little pinhole leak in your radiator, and eventually when all the coolant drains out of your radiator, really bad things are going to happen to your engine. I know this. I have a daughter who's done this twice. She just happened to be driving when the car her dad didn't maintain drove its last few hundred yards. If you've got a leak, you've got to work on the leak, you've got to fix it. If you've got a breach in a relationship, you've got to work at that. If you've hurt your wife or your husband, or she's sinned against you, your children have sinned against you, you have to gather them around the table, you have to take it in hand. This is, you have to maintain. So what we do is we, we don't be disillusioned. We don't avoid. We don't attack. But we act wisely. We follow the Bible. We obey the commands of Christ. We be a good steward of the conflict. I think a little bit about Eli. God doesn't want sin to go unchallenged in His church. God doesn't want sin to go unchallenged in my life or yours. And He doesn't want sin to go unchallenged in a family or in a relationship, in a fellowship, in, in, in a, uh, a marriage. He wants us to... He doesn't want us to go around without personal self-examination, you know, passage in, in Galatians says if somebody's overtaken a fault, those of you who are spiritual. So you've got to, like, take care of yourself first. You don't need a bunch of self-appointed critics always kind of wandering the church halls looking for somebody to do something that they can call them out on so they feel superior. God forbid. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about humble, godly people who care about the heart of Christ and that the church is pure and that the family's pure, that, that human relationships are pure taking things in hand, acting wisely. Eli was the man who understood the importance of holiness. He was a priest. He recognized when things were wrong, and he saw things that were wrong. His own sons did vile things, and he was not pleased. But the Bible says he didn't act to restrain them, and so God judged him. And so there should be action taken to restrain sin. If somebody sins against you, there are ways to act wisely. Number one, go to them alone. Go to him and point out his fault. Just the two of you alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. The, the word is brother. It's a beautiful word. He said, your brother. You go and you gain your brother that way, who hasn't experienced sibling rivalry. What do you do first? You go to him alone. This might be one of the most easily disobeyed commands of Jesus ever. We always think that, we, that it's easier to talk to somebody else first. 
It's always easier to get somebody to agree with us first, somebody else, not to go alone. The Bible says, Jesus said, it's a command of Jesus, go to him alone. This is extremely wise. Think about that. If you're the one who sinned, you don't want people spreading that around. You want them to come to you first and give you the opportunity to explain or to repent. Go alone. I'm in Dairy Queen in Canton, Kentucky. Every morning last week, it's the only restaurant in town. It's a crack up. They play country music down there. The locals come in. They got like cheap, bad food. You're you're sitting in there with my laptop. I I steal some internet there and I'm I'm sitting there with a borrow some internet and I'm and I'm working and and two old guys come in. It just old as the hills, man. The beard that goes out like that, you know. And they come in and they come sit down there and they're older, so they talk louder. So I cannot not hear them. I'm not eavesdropping. It's just like, if you're going to talk that loud, sit that close, I'm going to listen to what you say, especially if you're as interesting as these guys were. They held hands. These old fellows got in, and the first thing they did is they held hands, and they prayed. Melted my heart. It was just so beautiful. These guys knew the Lord. You can just tell, dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this beautiful day. Thank you. They just prayed so beautifully. My heart was so warmed by that. Guy on this side, I found out later on, though he was like old as the hills, was a, was a pretty new Christian. Guy on the other side must have been kind of his mentor. So they got their breakfast, they start to eat, and the guy on the other side says to the guy on this side, but you've got to remember, I've got this text open in front of me. I'm studying this text. Guy on the other side says, now listen. He said, you know, the other day you kind of got angry there. You know, didn't you? Yeah, I did. He said, I understand I understand why you, I understand why you feel that way. He says, but you know what I do? I tell you, when I, when that, when I feel that coming on, he said, I just say, what would Jesus do? I just say, what would Jesus do? And when I feel it coming on, I just, I just say, what would Jesus do? You know what I'm saying? And then it just goes away. He says, he says, that's what you should have done. Do you see what I'm saying? He goes, well, you, he, he really irritated me. I go, but you remember what the preacher said? about being like Jesus and the devil's going to try to get in there. Now, that's the way it is, isn't it? And the old guy goes, you're right. He goes, all right then, all right. Then he didn't bring it up anymore. Church discipline was happening at the DQ. Yeah. That was the church of Jesus Christ at work. My heart was warmed when I saw that. The guy didn't rub it in. He didn't grind him down. He didn't bring it up again. But you could tell that he was serious. He looked him in the eye. He tried to help him. You were angry. It wasn't right. This guy admitted it. He gave him a bit of advice. He got off the subject. They went on to something else. Eventually, the guys got up, and they turned around to me, and the, the old guy that was the subject of the exhortation, he says to me, you know, I haven't known the Lord a long time. Seventy-eight and a half years old. I was on the whiskey before that. And God took that completely away from me. My wife prayed for me for years and years. He said, I don't know why I waited so long. It was so beautiful. Told me about his guitar. Told me about a whole bunch of things about his life. (laughs) It was awesome. But what I saw happening there was what Jesus was talking about. You know, it doesn't hurt if you buy breakfast. I had this happen to me one time. A guy that was on pastoral staff with me many years ago, he, he was leaving the pastoral staff. His name is Jim, Jim Knibblick, a friend of mine. He was leaving the pastoral staff, and they were moving away. And Jim comes over to my house. He calls me on the phone. He says, can I come over and talk with you before I leave? And I said, sure. And he comes over in his car, 
And he goes, well, if you don't mind, I'm going to come over. If you guys just come out and sit in the car, I want to talk to you a little bit. And so I go out and I sit down in Jim's car. And Jim talks to me for a while and he tells me he loves me and he tells me how he's liked working with me and he said some nice things about uh, me. And then he said, but the reason I came over is because there's something that you did that really bothers me a lot. And I feel like if you do this to other people, it's going to really bother them a lot. And you have a lot of potential, but I think you're going to hurt yourself if you keep doing this. And I wondered if you'd like to know what it is. And of course I said, no, I don't want to know what it is. My insides are like, no, I don't want to know. But my, my dutiful Christian Pierpont says, well, Jim, yes. And he's, I'll never forget he said to me, his wife's name's Debbie. He said to me, Ken, I want you to know I have not told another soul on earth, not even Debbie, what I'm going to tell you right now. Go to him between you and him alone and you may gain your brother. Do you think I listened to what he had to say? I have never been able to forget what he had to say. Because the way he did it was biblical and right. And it helped me a lot, a lot. Years later, I got a call from a guy that was on a pulpit committee at Byron Baptist Church. He said to me, we don't have a pastor right now. We understand that you're running a Christian training center in Flint, and we wonder if you would be our interim pastor. Would you consider being our interim pastor? I was so longing to be an interim pastor somewhere to preach every week and just praying and longing for that. And here out of, out of nowhere, I get this call from this guy. I said, I'd be happy to come and preach, and you can decide if you want me, and they did. I said, how did you hear about me? He said, well, it was Jim Kniblick who told us about you. I could go on about Jim and my, my dear friend Jim Kniblick. I don't hate him. I don't dislike him. I'm not mad at him. I didn't like it. It wasn't fun. It hurt my feelings. It was hard to hear. But because he did what God said, we're very close friends today. And I believe that he helped me. What, you ever notice how sanctification comes real slow? But when a person who's already really loves you and really has shown they love you and you know you can trust them and when they haven't told anybody else and they only tell you, sometimes that relationship can be, I've found in my life, a big forward thrust in my personal sanctification. Please don't all of you set up an appointment with me and talk with me this week. Please talk with other people. Please. Please. I just got back from vacation. Have pity on me, okay? Just like this week, think of other people. You know, and if you want to talk to me, I, will, I love you, and I will talk to you, and I will listen to you, honest, and I will still love you, but not all this week, okay? So, just saying. Uh, don't, don't attack, don't avoid, and don't go and gather what my dad used to call immoral support. <laughs> I got beat up on the way home from school, and my dad one time said, how many of them beat you? I go, well, just one of them beat me, but there was a lot of them. He goes, yeah, their immoral support is always there, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, that's overwhelming. And so what we do is when somebody sins against us, our first reaction is to go to other people and say, do you agree that this person is a jerk? I'm like, yes, they're a jerk. I can't believe they did that to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. And then when you finally go to them, you say something like, I'm not the only one who feels this way. They're like, really? They immediately know you've been talking. You've been sinning against them. So Jesus' advice here is absolutely wise. Try hard. God helping you. Go to them alone. Now, you can't help it, but I, I, I got an old boy down in Kentucky there that's a distant relative, and God saved him. It's so beautiful. 
I used to sit, I used to talk to this guy, and I would hate to, I'd get away from him, I'd say to Lois, oh, that, you know, relative of yours, named him, is a reprobate. <laughs> it's a reprobate. I know. I'm like, you know, and I, and I get to all talk to all them, everybody else, and I get to talk to all, he was just, but God saved him. So that was cool. So now when I talked to him, I, and he didn't make a big deal out of it, so I said, Lois, did you notice that, you know, I named this guy that she's saved? I mean, he's a little, <laughs> he's real rough around the edges, but he's saved. So I'm on the porch, and he says, can I ask you a question? I go, yeah. He goes, my pastor says if you don't tithe, you can't go to heaven. Is that what the Bible says? I go, no, that's not what the Bible says. But I doubt if your pastor said that, because that, you know, that would probably be kind of irresponsible talk. I, I, that's, you, you, you know, he goes, no, I, I tell you what, when he said that, I just I got up right then, I left, and I, and I just never came back, and, and I don't go there anymore. I mean, if the pastor's going to say something like that, I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to go there to church. I'm like, oh, that's no, not good, you know. And so he, then he kind of says, like, what do you think about that? I said, well, I'm on vacation, you know, so... I shouldn't have to answer these kinds of questions on vacation on the porch in Kentucky. But I said, no, I said to him, you know, here's what you should have done. If you don't mind me saying, you should have gone to the pastor alone, just the two of you. And you should, he would have met with you. And then you should have sat down, just the two of you. You should have said to him, Pastor, I need to ask you a question because I think you said this. And did you really say that? But don't tell your wife, don't tell your kids, don't tell anybody else. Just go to him alone. And he goes, well, I'm sure he knows how I feel. I've told a lot of people about it. <laughs> totally didn't get it, you know. I was like, oh, my word. So the guy doesn't go to the pastor, but he goes, to, it's a small town. I mean, seriously. In a town there, anything, everybody knows it immediately. It's not a lot unlike our town, but just gets around a lot faster. So what he said was, I know the pastor knows how I feel because I've told a lot of people, but he never went to him. Now, he violated this. And in so doing, he, he could have cleared up a, a mis, misunderstanding. I bet you it was a misunderstanding because a pastor, a responsible pastor, would not say that your salvation depends on your tithing. Okay, it's tempting to say that, but the Bible doesn't teach that. <laughs> it didn't laugh enough right then, but that's okay. It, it, that's, that's not right. It would have been a lot better if he had just gone alone. And then the pastor could have said, no, that's not what I meant. Well, that's how it came out, pastor. The pastor could have gone to the pulpit next week and said, you know, some of you thought I said this last week. Let me clarify that. The guy still would have been there, and he wouldn't have gone around town discrediting the pastor around town, hurting the church, the cause of Christ, the young ones in the faith. That town needs that pastor. That town needs that church. And this man didn't realize that he did a great harm because he didn't go alone to the pastor. Now we're talking about the pastor. We're talking about anybody who sins against any of you. It could be your wife or your own kids in your own house or somebody at work. Amy Carmichael was used of God to kind of mother the dawn of her fellowship, kind of a, like a bit of an orphanage in India. And she, she picked up, she expressed this truth in a rule. And she always would say to the people who worked there, never about, always to. Never about, always to. When it comes to personal sin, personal offense, you should not talk about somebody. You should go and talk to them. And what's cool about that is you tend to go, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I'm not going to go talk to them. Good, then don't talk to anybody else about it. You can overlook it. Good, it's the glory of a man to overlook an offense. It was not an ongoing problem for them. It's not an ongoing trouble for the church. Something that you can overlook. Then overlook, it's the glory of a man to overlook that offense. 
But if it's an ongoing problem for them or trouble to the church or that somebody's going to get hurt, then you must go to them alone. And I don't want to belabor this. I, I will tell you that there are like four steps. It's like first base, second base, third base, fourth base, home run. I'll be honest with you. As I studied this and prayed about this, I thought if we can get to first base as a church, I would be very happy. Right? I mean, if we get to first base, me, my family, you, your family, all of us, if as a church we can just very carefully do what Jesus said, the first part of his command, when somebody sins against you, go to them personally first. And you may gain them. If we were to do that as a church, I know that one, div- one act, that one commitment that never about always to commitment that would make our church a better church that would make me a better pastor that would make you a better member that is strengthening your marriage that is strengthening your family and so if i don't second thing get help notice verse 16 but if he will not hear notice you're trying to get him to listen and hear so you want to hear him so he'll hear he'll hear you that's how it works you know give them the talking stick until they're done and then when they give you the talking stick maybe they'll hear you but if you will not hear, take with you one or two more. And by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. The idea then is, get help. Get, find somebody else who's godly, who's wise, who they're willing to listen to, who they respect. Get help. This is important. Don't try to do this alone. We tend to do things alone when we should get help. So when you go alone, and you may win your brother, at that point, you see, he refuses to repent. He refuses to acknowledge his sin. And you may get other help that he's likely to listen to the third thing verse 17 if he refuses to hear them tell it to the church go get help from the church get help from the elders the leaders the pastors get help from others get help from the church verse 17 and it says but if he refuses even to hear the church let him be like a heathen or tax collector like a potential brother no longer considered like a brother considered like a potential brother then How do we treat heathen and tax collectors? Hey, we like heathens and tax collectors around here. We got seats for them. When God draws them to himself, they're precious to us. We're going to, if we have to turn the church upside down to do it, we ought to do whatever we have to do in order to get heathens and tax collectors. Amen? Right there, amen. Yes, come on, work with me here. If we have to take the roof off the building to get heathens and tax collectors to God, we should be willing to do it. If it's an inconvenience for us, we should be willing to do it. If it's a change of schedule for us, we should be willing to do it. If it changes things that we like, we should be willing to do it because sinners are precious to Jesus. They are precious to Him. And we ought to care about that. We must care about that. In order to obey Jesus, we have to care about that. If the heart of God is beating in our heart, then we have to care about that. It's not just a matter of like, I want things to be comfortable and nice for me. I want things to be what I'm familiar with. No. Take a roof off if you have to. Get the sinners to Jesus. If you have to go out and seek them, you go out and seek them. And as a church, this is our trajectory in the future. We are going to be giving more and more exhortation, more and more explanation, more and more ideas, more and more attempts and experiments about how to go out and reach them. And you start this fall just by simply inviting people that God is working with. And many of them that God is working with will come. 
And they will, they will, just like it says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're going to talk about that tonight. They will come and their sin will be exposed and their hearts will be exposed. They'll see the glory of God and they'll be saved. Many of them, some have already, many will. And so you think when you look at a text like this, you recognize there are people that are, rec- that we should recognize there are brothers and there are potential brothers, the two categories. Brothers and potential brothers and sisters. Notice you understand if they don't do this, you treat them like an outsider, a potential brother. And finally, Understand this, according to verses 18 through 20, heaven, the Father, Christ himself, are witness, and they will rat, ratify and witness this process. It's serious. He's given us this authority. And so it says there, Surely I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound, will have been bound in heaven, is the idea. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. I, I, when I was running this um, training center, I had people that were working for me, and one guy was just trouble. It was just really a pain. He was a just terrible guy to work with. And I just, uh, he was a grief to me. And I just wanted him to go away because he was no help at all. And I tried a whole bunch of different things. And finally I thought, you know, I'm going to have to fire this guy. And I did not want to do that. And uh, it I never did. But I, I wanted, I, I thought, I, I, I'm going to have to. And I tried so many different things. Finally I made up my mind, you know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fire him. And I had the ultimate boss over me. I decided I would call him and make sure he had my back. Because I knew what would happen. If I fired him, he was going to call the guy over me and say, you know, are you going to second guess his decision? So I thought, well, before that, I'm going to have my little ducks lined up, right? So I called my ultimate boss and I said, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking about doing. And, and I don't want any advice that you have for me. And he says, I think that you have a good assessment of it, and you have authority to fire him. So I hung up the phone with that authority to fire him, and uh, I knew that I had that decision ratified by the person that was over me. Not too, And I prayed about it a lot. Not too long after that, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, some, somebody pushed a uh, little lunch. Uh, little storage container underneath of a sink and knocked the water supply loose from his sink about 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning up on the 7th floor, and it flooded floors 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, and 1 with lots of water. And guess who quit that day? guy who wouldn't have been much help anyway. You know, not being mean. I'm just saying I was really nice about it. What, what we're saying here is that when we are serious about this and we follow what God says, we can be assured that God in his heaven is backing that up. He's acting in that. He's re- witness and re- to that and ratifying that. And so it's really, really serious. Two things to keep in mind while you're working toward unity with somebody else. Jesus is always present. And little ones are always watching. My boys, uh, my two oldest boys, Kyle and Chuck, love each other. I'm sure they would die for each other. They love each other a lot. But they were sharing a room, and they got irritated with each other one day, and they had a tussle. And I got a little wrestling match thing. Kyle had this beautiful aqua shirt. I always noticed it was a real pretty color on him. Chuck uh, took a hold of his shirt like this, and it tore the buttonhole there. Chuck said, um, he and, I, and I have permission to talk about it, you know, he told me that he feels really, really sick and sad when he thinks about that. 
Well, one day we were with we're at a men's conference. All the boys were there, and I was leading the singing, and there was revival preaching. It was a really rich, rich time, singing and revival preaching. And Kyle came down that morning, and he was wearing that, that aqua shirt. Chuck saw it, and it made his heart really tender. So after the message that morning, the boys went forward to pray together. And then Dan went forward, and Wes went forward, and I went forward. And the, the five of us are kneeling at the altar there praying, weeping, making sure everything was right, that we were close, that we had forgiven one another. This is pleasing to the Lord. This is a sweetness. This strengthens our message. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's the, like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard. It's like the dew of Hermon that descends upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded blessing, even life forevermore. To the best of our ability, we want to make every wrong right and embrace every brother that we can and never quit trying because we absolutely cannot call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ if we don't. Because when we do, the purity and the integrity of the church are intact. Because when we do, it's a beautiful thing that pleases the Father. And because when we do, people will come to know the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. It, it, it hit my heart very hard this week just to think about how much I need to have your the power of your Holy Spirit to do the, your, to, to obey the simplest of your commands and how, how unnatural they are to our natural man. And so I pray for us, for the individuals that are here, the families that are represented, the marriages that are represented, and, and this fellowship, this church, that, that we would walk in oneness of mind and oneness of spirit, that we would um, not be disillusioned or discouraged by differences of opinion, that we wouldn't avoid, that we wouldn't attack, but, Lord, that we would go one-on-one after we've prayed. Give us this, uh, Lord, help us to hit kind of a reset button, even as a church, and have a renewed uh, devotion to what you said, this command, and, and that you would be honored by it. And, Lord, for any sheep that wanders, that we would be able to restore them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.